masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, inspired word through his apostle Paul. And so, Father, help me. Help me unveil the intended meaning here to the saints in Paul's day and thus to the saints, the believers, us here in our day. Oh, Father, may we be beacons of light of the glory of Jesus Christ in various earthly circumstances. Help us not only see, but help us love the truth that we see to the glory of your name. Amen. Now, as Christians, many of us have often heard people substitute words like employee or employer for words here in the text, which translated literally as slaves or masters. That jump is absolutely valid. And it does make this text applicable to us believers today. See, the question that we have to ask ourselves, if you confess Christ as your Savior, Do you know that your work, your job, your submission as an employee, or your leadership as a business owner, an employer, or a boss, or a manager over others, is ultimately about your walk with God and your service to your Savior, Jesus Christ. I think some people might say, no, 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 come on. You know, Christianity is about attending a service or two once a week. It's not about this worldly day-to-day stuff where we spend so much of our lives making a living, being able to eat, have a roof over our head, and how we act as employees or as bosses. See, if you think that way, you do not understand the Scripture. Christians should be good employees. They should be faithful 
honest employees. They should be generous, good bosses. Precisely because of their obedience to the Lord Jesus. And as bosses, because they know they have a boss. They know they have the master of masters. The sovereign of the universe. They know they have a benevolent one who is their master in heaven. And he judges perfectly. And he shows no partiality. That's Christianity living in itself out throughout the ages in all kinds of differing socioeconomic circumstances. So let's first, though, let's go to the context and, and, and try to grasp the words that Paul is using here in his situation in the Roman Empire in A.D. 60, 61 or so. This word, slaves and the owner of slaves called masters. In the Roman Empire, in the first century, yes, it's true. It was legal to have ownership of other persons. And it had been in place for a long time. If you don't know it, sin is a part of the human experience since the fall of mankind. And so is war. And so is human slavery. It has always been with us to one extent or another. It is a mind-boggling thing like in this country or in Britain over the last 200 years that we abolished such a thing. That's what's unique. But in the first century, what is this slavery? Well, it's huge. It's a part of the way this whole system works. About one out of every three persons in the Roman Empire was a slave. Got a hundred people, 33, 34 of them are slaves. And then there's another large majority who are called freedmen. That means they used to be slaves and now they're free. Most slaves in the Roman Empire were treated well. Not like on the cotton farms in the South in the 1800s here in America. Most slaves were born into that house as a slave and they were raised up and they were trained to perform all kinds of jobs and tasks, whether domestically, industrially, as businessmen, as servants in the government, Public caste. And when it came to slavery, in the Roman Empire, you couldn't go to the marketplace and say, there's a slave, there's a slave, and recognize them by their clothing, nor their skin color, nor their ethnicity. had nothing to do with it. You just, you wouldn't know unless you, you asked them or, or knew them. The education of slaves was encouraged in order to enhance, of course, their worth and their value. Many slaves were better educated than their masters. And abusiveness of masters to slave was legal, and it happened. It wasn't 
as common as you might think, but mean-spirited, sinful, abusive masters could do that. Slaves could range from unskilled workers to managers over the entire estate of the master. They were medical physicians, lawyers. Okay, not what you're thinking about in the slavery here in America. Slaves in the Roman Empire, they were not at the bottom of the socioeconomic system. The bottom was free persons who were poor, who, who, who had no job security, who had to find day work and, and labor like over at Home Depot in, in order to feed themselves, to feed their family. That is why many persons sold themselves into slavery for job security, for a roof over their head, food in their belly, security. Slaves themselves could own property. They could accumulate wealth and money. And, hey, I got this. I'm going to start my own business. Eventually, buy their own freedom and become a freedman. Start their own business. You remember Felix, the governor? Paul was under him when he was sent to Caesarea. When he was incarcerated, Felix used to be a slave. The emperor's wife freed Felix. And now he's a governor in the Roman Empire. But it is true that slaves were owned. And their legal status was lower than non-owned persons. But, there was something about this system that is analogous in, in obedience, like we think about uh, employment, a corporation, a small business. I hire you to do something. I'm over you. This is what you do. This is what I pay you for so you can have a roof and food in your, your belly. The employer, employee, there is a crossover of what Paul is saying here. It's not exact. It would be nice not to have that person have the legal right to beat me, which they did if they wanted to. But there is a crossover, and so we're going to look at it in both ways. Not merely his historical, but it's applicable right now. So, if you're there, chapter 6, verse 5 of Ephesians, Paul writes, now the ESV translates it, bond servants, okay, or... It's the word slaves. It's the word doulos. It means you're owned by another who is your master. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Now, this fear and trembling, these words that Paul's using here, this is not... Wake up every day and just start shaking in your boots in fear. That's not what he is driving at here. The first word fear is the word phobos, which he just used a few verses earlier in verse 33 of chapter 5. Let each one of you love his wife 
as he loves himself. And let the wife see to it that she fears her husband. Again, wife, he's not talking about wake up and say, oh gosh, he's coming home. It is this deep respect for the hierarchical system that he's talking about. Show respect for the love that your husband shows to you and the care being Christ-like that he shows to you. So when Paul says obey with fear, he means this deep respect of the hierarchical structure that he's driving at. As a slave or as an employee, you're under the command hierarchically of that other person. Obey in that context with a deep Respect. And then he uses the other word, tremble. There is a way in these three slaves. You, you, you should fear consequences. Do you remember how Paul talked about obedience to police? Romans 13, the government. You got laws like don't murder, don't burglarize, don't vandalize, don't steal. Well, if you do that, Paul says you should fear. But if you obey the law, you shouldn't. You shouldn't be fearful. That applies today. You sh- How you go to work if you're an employee? There's something to fear. Like losing your job. Because you don't show up. Because you're rebellious. We don't want that kind of an employee. Most people we have all kinds within our extended families, don't we? So we probably all have people in our family we know that person can just never keep a job because of their arrogance for one thing. Their slothfulness. They're not showing up. Anyone over them gives them an attitude, they give them a piece of their mind and they just can't seem to hold the job. Paul says, no, no, no. You obey with, with, with a deep respect for this position and, and, and where you're at there and there's something to, there's something to fear. That type of arrogant hard-heartedness. Who are you to tell me what to do? Well, they hired you. That's who they are for one. Okay. To act that way is not the way of Christ. Slaves, employees, obey. Your boss, employer, your master. But then Paul gives further instructions. He didn't say obey. He says, here's the manner in which you are to go about obeying. With sincerity of your heart. Not merely externally. You know the whole thing, a kid is, okay, I'm sitting down. But on the outside, I'm On the inside, I'm standing up. Rebellious heart, you can tell they haven't come to true repentance yet. So in other words, Paul is saying with a sincerity of heart. In other words, he's saying have a deep disposition of obedience. Of respect toward the one in authority over you. Sincerity. 
sincerely, single, literally in the Greek, single-heartedness. Let your respect of authority come from your heart. Just as you would obey Jesus. That's the text. What does he mean? Don't be a backbiter of your boss, of your manager, of your employer. In front of whom, hey, you're all good. Oh, yeah, you're fantastic. Thanks. Go to the lunchroom and you rip them apart in the presence of others. That's what he's driving at. That's not sincerity of heart. That's not an obedient, sincere heart to your situation in that context. That's arrogance. That's comparing how great we think we are to other sinners who may have a position of authority over us. And now when Paul writes this, many of these converted, these Christians who have come to saving faith in Jesus, who are slaves, many of them had non-Christian Masters, welcome to the world. Many of us Christians throughout the world have non-Christian employers, bosses, managers over us in some larger corporation. The point is, do you bear the name Christian in that workplace? Paul's point is, Be very careful then that you do not give Jesus a bad name out there in the work-a-day world. I'm going to show you, this is where else Paul talks about this situation because he pointedly essentially says that to Timothy. Pastor Timothy. Let the body, let the congregation, let the church know this. When he writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, these words. Let all within the church who are under the yoke as slaves, let them regard their own masters as worthy Of all honor. Why? He goes on to say why. So that the name of God and the teaching of Christ may not be reviled. And then, Paul knows the even stickier problem within the church world. And that is, what if this believer, who is a slave, (laughs) has a master who's also a believer? And Paul knows you better watch it. He knows the danger within that slave that may say, I got grounds for disobedience. We're equal. We're brothers. 
Not only that, think about the possibility that you, you have this slave who's been a believer for a few years, his gifts of teaching are clear, and he becomes a teacher within the church while his master sits and learns from him. He may be tempted to sinfully be disrespectful toward that other Christian who is his master based on, hey, I know more than he does anyway about the Bible. I'm a teacher. Paul knows this situation. This guy may say, we're all equal in Christ. We're are all, even as human beings in Christ or outside of Christ, in God's image. There's an equality there of all human beings, and he'll be dead right. But he's not right if he says, in my task in the day-to-day life, (laughs) no, there is a distinction. If you're an employee to your employer. If you're a 12-year-old child to your parents, you are not equal in the home. They have authority over you, as Paul has just previously said. So the slave might get deceived into thinking, well, this means I don't need to respect my fellow Christian's authority over me as a slave in the home running his business. Smarter than he is anyway. And that could cause sinful laziness and a rebelliousness and disrespect to the authority that's over him. And it brings disgrace to the name of Christ. This is how Paul says it in 1 Timothy 6, dealing with that problem. Verse 2. Those of you Christians who have believing masters, fellow Christians who are masters, you must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers, fellow Christians. But rather, they, the Christian slave, must serve all the better. Because those who benefit by their good service are also believers and beloved. That's his argument. So are you an employee? Do you work in a big corporation or system that has some kind of hierarchical, managerial structure? The Scripture says you are to conduct yourselves with respect toward the authority that's over you. Not because they earned it. Not because they're sinless. It's not what it says. It's because... They are in that position. 
For weeks we've been in this. Starting in chapter 5, Paul has been laying out, there is such a thing as order. There is such a thing as positions of authority, positions of submission, and we go in and out of them depending on different kinds of relationships in, in our lives. There is such a thing as hierarchical structure. Not just because it exists, but because God says there are. Last week, some of us were down in San Diego. And Pedro, in the back there, was down there. A major in the Air Force. And he had his dress uniform on. And after Sergio's graduation, there's thousands of us, you know, going back to cars and family, meeting the Marine, etc., etc. I mean, it was something to watch while standing there. There was... Uh, an enlisted Marine that walked by, I think he was an enlisted Marine, and sees Pedro in his uniform, and he showed appropriate military respect and saluted him. He didn't know anything about Pedro. He doesn't know if he's an idiot. He's not. He doesn't know if he's married, has children. He not know anything about him. He didn't honor me that way. He did him. Because Pedro was a superior officer, even across the branches of the military. It was because of his position. And there's a lesson in that, not just with the military, but in the home. On sports teams. And in the workplace. So... Paul then lets us know the the, the key. He turn the key to have the power to obey what the Scripture says here. The key to a heart, not merely outwardly, but a heart that can humble itself and exhibit sincerity in its submission. The key is to be Christ-centered. Start with verse 5 again. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. And then, focusing on Christ in this passage is what dominates what Paul goes on to say. So let's just read on. As you would to Christ, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, the boss is looking, put on a show, no, but do it as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord. And not to man. If that's not driving believers to be Christ-centered in the workplace, I don't know what is. 
It isn't merely about your employer, your boss, or the one over you. It is about your walk with Jesus. Doing. Having a good will in this situation is to the Lord. And not stopping here at that man or that woman, but to the Lord. Knowing that whatever good, here's theology, that whatever good anyone does anywhere, and then in particular in this situation with you slaves or employees, what any good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whether he is a slave or whether he is free. Now, I wonder how many of us Christians in the world today, in this country today, in evangelicalism today, buy this. That we are serving Christ as we serve those who are over us working at McDonald's. Or in a coffee shop. Or in a law office. Or at a construction site. But the point is the realization that we who are born again, that we are serving our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the power. Sincerely. And that's what gives to us believers integrity in the workplace when nobody is looking. As Paul says in this text, to refuse to give mere eye service. Oh, the bus is here. Let's get to work. People pleasers. Boss is gone. Let's go back to playing cards. That's what atheists do. Because there is no God watching you, you think. For Christians to act that way. Really, you believe that there is a God that created the universe? Created you? Everything that is, and that's why you even have a self-consciousness. Why you know you're sinful. And you actually believe he he spoke to Abraham, founded a people, and hundreds of years later, delivered Israel out of slavery into Egypt and gave the law. And at the core of it, the Ten Commandments. And then another 1,200 years of history laying out the promise that a Messiah is coming. You believe that that Messiah was born of the Virgin Mary, that He grew up into manhood and went straight for the main core purpose. This One who created the universe, who is without beginning, became a human being in order to shed His blood for us. 
and for our salvation that our sin would be put away and He was killed. Dead. Cold. And hard. And on the third day, He rises. And for the next 40 days, is touched by others, eats with others, teaches his apostles and other disciples, over 500 witnesses to his resurrection. And you have come to say in faith in Jesus, who then ascended and will come back one day as we say, boss isn't looking, and neither is Jesus. Something's wrong with that picture. And that's what Paul's getting at, Christian. Not by mere eye service. Not as men pleasers. This is about you and your Savior. This is Christianity. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. Doing the will of God. From the heart. So if you're if you are working your dream job or just a a minimum wage summer job as a college student, if you're preparing a case for the court of law where you're scrubbing walls and scrubbing toilets, as a Christian, we're called to work and to work hard and to work faithfully. Whether you're being watched by a superior or not. Paul drives it home. Rendering service. With a good will. Strange term. Good will. As to the Lord and not to man. He's saying what moves your decisions and your willing is your relationship. Christ, your Master, your Savior, your Sovereign, your all. Serving, doing your work with a good will. As if you were painting that house. As if you were working in that office. Doing retail at a department store. Selling property. As if you now have the privilege to serve the Lord we love. That's what he says. But look, you don't understand. I hate my boss. This person is unjust and nasty. So it's really hard to be a good, hard-working, honest, respectful employee. Okay? We don't have slavery here. Could quit. But as long as you are in that place, Paul offers an incentive. An incentive that is so great, and it outweighs any paycheck. That it is really hard for an actual Christian, an actual gospel-centered Christian to refuse this incentive 
on that day, it worked. It's verse 8. Knowing, okay, what's that, what does that mean? It means now he says, he's taken everything he's just said. This is how you serve, employee. This is how you serve, slave. This is, this is how you, you do it unto the Lord. Knowing, meaning, because you know something. Don't we? We know the gospel, right? So here it is. Because you know that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from his employer. Someone say something. It doesn't say that. This he will receive back from the Lord. In all of life, whether you're a slave or free, whether you're a CEO or you're working on the assembly line, to every person being saved eternally from the judgment of their sin, this is the promise. If you belong to Christ, then there is a reward that is coming to those who serve God by serving others. And that reward is in the resurrection and all of its eternal unending rewards in glory. And Paul was yearning for that first century Christian slaves to know this. Because that would be their hope of empowerment to love, to honor, to respect, and to have integrity in their daily life and duty. And so Paul's not done. He turns it. And he goes to the employers and the bosses. Slave masters. And we can hear the words of Jesus, I think, ring through what Paul says. Do unto others. As you would have them, if you're in their position, do unto you. And that applies to all situations, and now Paul particularly applies it to masters, to slave owners in the Roman Empire, by extension to bosses, employees, and supervisors. Verse 9. Masters, do the same... Okay, the same refers back to doing good. Do the same to them, your slaves. And stop threatening. Why? Here he goes again. Because you know something, if you're a believer. Knowing that He who is both your slave, the master of the slave, 
He, he, he's both their master and yours. He's in heaven. And there is no partiality with Him. Masters, do you want respect from your slaves, from your employees that are under you? Do you want them to perform what they're supposed to do? It's why you hire them? Okay, good. Well, do the same for them. If you're in their position, how would you want to be treated? Paul expects Christianity to change people. Change how they act, to change their outlook in life, in every realm of life. Particularly the unavoidable realm of living, making a living. So you who have come to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ, master, employer, you are to understand that there is absolute spiritual equality between the lowest of the realm or the highest. Between your slave and yourself, between your master and yourself, Before God, who is in heaven. Before Christ, on that judgment day, one day. That's what He drives at. So masters, do the same good to them and stop your threatening, knowing that He who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with Him. So every master... Every employer, every manager, even though they do hold authoritative positions down here on earth, and it is biblical to respect those positions, yet, if you're in that position, that person must view him or herself as only equal to God in their value person. It's the same with parents. There is a respect to show to children without losing your authority. They are made in the image of God, but there's an authoritative structure. Is this, well, I'm just, I guess it's just, we're grasping it. And so finally, notice Paul's motivation God is your judge. So do good to them. Be careful how you pay them. Really? Is that fair? Be careful how you... They, they, get, they have wives. They have children. Just... I'm talking about government doing this. Be conscientious. Because you will be judged. No, no, no. we got to work. It's just pure capitalism. It has, that has nothing to do with my Christianity. Really. There's a day. There's a day. So we try to do our best to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. If I were in the position, what would be the right thing here? Now, let me, before I do finally close, look. 
We've got to consider not merely right now we live in the richest society in the history of the world. To be lower class in America is to be extraordinarily rich compared to most of human history. So this text is applicable for the last 2,000 years. In all kinds of not real idealistic circumstances that brothers and sisters have lived in. See, even in, when Paul writes, not all slaves had it really, okay, it's good, really good masters who cared about them. And many masters finally would, you know, I'm going to give you your freedom. And they're like family and love them. Some of them had some really vicious and unjust masters and situations as throughout the centuries. And so I want to turn somewhere in the New Testament for a second, because Peter addresses this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, starting with verse 18, Servants, slaves, be subject in submission to your masters with all respect. Now what is stunning is what he says next. Not only to the good masters and the gentle masters, but also to the unjust. And then he gives a reason. For, in other words, reason coming Christian. For or because this is a gracious thing. When, here it is, here's his God-centeredness again. Mindful of God, because of your faith in Jesus, this is your motivation. A person, you Christian slave, endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. God's grace is there. Let me just stop for a minute. This life is but a vapor. It's a vapor. And there is a resurrection physically of the body that is coming, and there will be no sin. In us, like there is now, for us who believe in Jesus. I, I, I just, I just, I wish everyone. I know they don't because I did this at, at the youth group the other night. But, but I wish everybody just because it helped this illustration work better has read Uncle Tom's Cabin. Where Harriet Beecher Stowe, the, the, her part to play. In finally abolishing slavery in the anti-slavery movement, was she humanized black slaves and motivated people? 
But why Uncle Tom became this nasty term for blacks towards other blacks, I have no idea because you can't help but fall in love with Uncle Tom, a slave. And a brother in Jesus. Because he really is a real character in that he's a compilation of truth of many slaves who come to saving faith in Jesus. So in that sense, he's a real character. He loved Jesus. And we'll go in through the horrificness of his suffering in this life that she lays out. But, assuming the compilation of that real character, one day you sit with Uncle Tom. Would you would prefer a cozy situation on earth and to never have the mercy of Christ come to you in that calling to save faith and then perish in the judgment day without a Savior. Or, Uncle Tom, would you have preferred the life that you had and now for eternity? Glory in Jesus. That's the gospel. And in any and every horrific, sinful, broken, economic situation that has existed through history and exists today, whether you're born in North Korea or in some horrifically impoverished third world country. Paul was calling all believers to shine Christ, the gospel, in the midst of the situation you find yourself in. And so let me finish Peter's quote. Why? For this is a gracious thing. When you are mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and then you're beaten for it, okay, you endure it. But if when you do good and you suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Why, Peter? Because God's plan is to save all kinds of people through the millennia in various and diverse situations of life. To save some in the prison camp called North Korea or China or in the former Soviet communist bloc or behind the Islamic bloc to save the rich to save the poor, to slay, save masters, slaves, from every part of the socio-economic ladder. And so whether we believers find ourselves ruling or submitting, there's a purpose. And the purpose is to reflect the unseen treasure that shows that this world is but a vapor. And the unseen treasure of Jesus Christ and the joy that He is to us. Tasted now and experienced in the hope of the Gospel later is to shine through 
those circumstances. And one of the ways that God purposes to shine forth His glory and His beauty and His excellencies is as Paul writes to slaves in the Roman Empire who, here it is, at the core, he's calling them to act now in their situation out of a born-again actually resurrected from spiritual death to spiritual life, filled with the Holy Spirit, to act out of that heart and that demeanor. Why? Because it's so different than the one they were born with. Spiritual death and sin and damnation hung over them. And now they're alive to Christ. And this is weird. And so he calls them to the weirdness of finding a treasure in the field and going and selling everything they had in order to get treasure. That's Peter's point. He finds grace with God. And thus they're empowered, even in the midst of non-idealistic situations, to shine a light. There's a hope I have, and I wish you would see it too. Oh, dear abusive person, or master. When you read something like what Peter writes here, I think most Christians today is right. No, no, you can't. You just can't, can't mean that. It's not what you do. How would you do in our situation today? You get so easily offended because we're treated disrespectfully and this is what you do. It's the philosophy of our day. You use your mouth and you curse them out. You retaliate. It's what you do. Go to church on Sunday and in a week you do that again. The call to Christians in this passage is to act utterly contrary than your fallen nature. And that's Paul's point in his passage. Don't just obey outwardly. But he's saying, submit from the foundation of your love for God in Jesus Christ. Submit, because in the midst of temporal miseries, there is a deep-seated joy in Christ and the Gospel. He calls slaves in this text to walk daily in a God consciousness as if every task they're doing They're serving their Savior who suffered and died and triumphed death on their behalf. And that's the source of the believer's ability to submit, as Peter would say, even to vicious, unjust authorities over the believer. And the whole point could be summed this way. So that the Gospel 
is seen in you. As Peter would go on to say in his letter, always be ready when someone finally can't stand it anymore. And they've got to ask you, what is the hope that is in you? Tell me about it. I can see it. And so, I close again with Paul. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing this, that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Oh, and you masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening. Because you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. Father, help us as Your children, as those of us only by Your grace and by nothing within us, have seen the light of the Gospel of the glory and the beauty and the all-desirableness of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us. Walk this out. Whether in the workplace, in the home, in the neighborhood, in whatever structures we find ourselves, oh Father, wean us away from walking according to the flesh. And cause Your Spirit to even more powerfully work in us, Your children, that love, joy in Christ, and peace, patience, calmness, and gentleness would be seen for the beauty that it is because it points to and is anchored in the wonderful Gospel of Your Son. The glorious good news of Jesus' death for sinners like us. Amen.